You're listening to the My Money, My Lifestyle post-budget podcast with me, Maya Fisher-French, brought to you by Liberty. Today joining us for this special feature, we have three financial experts to help us understand the impact on our money and investments resulting from the finance minister's speech this week. So welcome to Vimal Jagan, in charge of savings and investment solutions at Liberty, and Pfizer Khan, legal specialist at Liberty, and financial advisor, Carlo Gills. So guys, thank you for joining us, but I wanted to kick off with a sentence from each of you as to what you thought of this budget. And Pfizer, ladies first. Um, I think that this budget was a getting your house in order type of budget. It was a some tough calls that needed to be made by the minister and not many financial planning changes that have come through. Um, but overall, I think it was a positive budget. And Carla, with not a lot of uh, financial planning challenges for you, uh, what did you think of the budget? I think um, I rated the budget an overall 6 out of 10. I think it was uh, a very challenging budget overall. Um, did definitely did not have a very easy task on hand, and uh, especially with state-owned enterprises um, being quite a hollow shell at the moment. Um, I think the overall sentiment of the budget is... Um, um, is, is true to, to what's happening opposed to what we've seen with previous budgets with a little bit of a smokescreen. So overall, um, yeah, a pretty honest budget. Straight yeah, it was. It was kind of take your clothes off and show what's underneath the kind of budget. Um, Vimal, your views? Yeah, I think it was an honest budget, which shows a government is in a tight corner. They've got very little room to maneuver, um, difficulty to it's quite difficult for them to increase direct taxes um, because I think they've noticed they're reaching the limit of tolerance by high-income taxpayers. At the same time, they're finding it difficult to cut spending because it is an election year after all. Um, so there's a lot of work that needs to happen. So, uh, yeah, as was said earlier, um, you, know, it's, you know, it shows um, that, it's a, that it's a difficult time. You know, it, it made me think a lot about just household budgets. It just resembled, I think, what so many South African households look like. People just living off their credit cards because they don't have enough income. They can't increase their income. Expenses are going up. And all those debt bills from 10 years ago are finally catching up. So I think for, you know, for me, I, that the big takeout was really that was just like, wow, okay. Government's running its, its accounts about as badly, if not worse, than most South African households. And what I wanted to do is I'm going to go straight into the big question because, and that is the one about a possible downgrade. This is a question everybody's asking after this budget. We saw um, debt to GDP uh, hitting about 60% by 23-24. Uh, we saw no really clear plans on how to fi fix Eskom. So it's not surprising that people are saying, is Moody's going to downgrade? And Vamal, I'd like to really unpack for the listeners why this is so important. I mean, obviously downgrades are important, but there's something particularly important about Moody's's downgrade or potential downgrade this time around? Yeah, so, so downgrades are quite important for two reasons. Firstly, there's a financial impact, and I'll get into that shortly. But secondly, uh, the, you know, the country gets uh, attached with a certain label of a junk bond status as such, and that's not a good place to be. So basically what that means is sub-investment grade, the largest investment managers in the world don't look at your debt paper because government needs to issue debt to fund its operations. Um, but yeah, coming back to uh, the, the financial consideration. Firstly, when, when a 
country is uh, downgraded to sub-investment grade, it gets excluded from certain market indices. And one of those is the JP Morgan World Government Bond Index. And when you come out of that index, it means that investors that invest in that index or that invest in the underlying assets of that index, they need to sell your bonds. All right. So being a forced seller will drive your prices down. And that means interest rates will tend to go up. Now, if interest rates go up, it also means that government finds it more expensive to borrow money. So inevitably, what happens is more of the taxes that you and me pay and that all of us pay gets used for interest servicing instead of being used for infrastructure projects or general government spending purposes. So that's the financial impact of the downgrade. I just said, you know, when you, yeah, Mark, I should butt in there because I, I think it's quite an important point. Um, and again, it's the same sort of thing. I always try and make it back to sort of households. And that is when you're borrowing, you know, when you borrow money and you're overextended, your, your credit rating worsens. When your credit rating worsens, the bank charges you more interest, higher interest rates. You get into this, this loop. And that's effectively what's happened to government. That's exactly, that's exactly. So, you know, borrowing is fine. You know, you can borrow, if you take the US and many of the European countries, take Japan as well, their debt to GDP ratio is way over 100%. They owe more money than they produce in a year. All right. But it's okay for them because the interest rates are quite low. So the important number to look at, and this is what the national credit regulator looks at, so the banks look at this very carefully, is your ability to service your debt. All right. So if you are using too much of your money just to pay the interest bill, that's when you are asking for trouble. And South Africa is getting to that point where we are using too much of the taxes uh, that, that's been paid by individuals and corporates to service debt mm -hmm. instead of to give services to the country. And what is that going to mean to our investments? Is this going to affect our you know, trusts, our life, our retirement annuities? What, what is this going to mean to us as South Africans? Look, there's many ways of looking at it. We're all worried about the Moody's downgrade. And I'm just looking at the US dollar exchange rate at the moment. It's actually strengthened since the budget speech. I saw that. It's a little weird. Does anyone, can anyone well, explain that? <laughs> I think we, between three of us, we'll get 10 different opinions. But, um, you know, it just shows that market participants look at this very, very differently. All right. I think a lot of investors are also sitting there saying, is the government saying the right things? They might not be doing the right thing right now, or it might take time for them to get to action stage. But are they saying the right things that makes the country an attractive place to invest? And that's what I think is driving the rent at the moment. I completely agree with that. Um, investors are definitely seeing South Africa still as, uh, as a bit of a light. Um, and, and like like was just said now, the a typical a typical approach on a budget day would be that you know there would be a sell off of rand, and we didn't see that this year, which which is actually very reassuring. And um, most certainly, Moody's will take this into account, um, and uh, because I think this decision that they're making is a very very serious one for South Africa, um, and I know they I was certain I can believe that Moody's is considering all the factors, looking into the speech and seeing that it is not just words, that, that, that there, is, there is substance behind it. And, and again, looking at investors and South Africa as a whole, because it could be 
it could be very, very detrimental to South Africa if, if we do get this downgrade. So what are you telling, Carlo, what are you telling your clients? Because people are nervous and anxious. So what are you, I mean, what's kind of the feed, feedback you're getting from your, so you, the investors are saying, well, we, we believe in government because it shows in the, in, the, in the bond market as well, bond market yield strengthened. What are your investors feeling, your clients? We're still very much in the short term. Um, so uh, consumer confidence is still at quite a low. Um, the, the, overall, the overall perception is that we still need to remain in fixed interests. Uh, so I think a lot of people are still sitting on the money market fence and, uh, and staying with fixed interests. So the sentiment of confidence is still a bit low. And, you know, what was also very interesting was um, at the press conference. So we go to the press conference before the budget speech um, and was the Reserve Bank governor spoke about uh, what would actually happen to interest rates for borrowers if, if there was a downgrade. And I'm going to quickly play that clip because I think it was he explains it so well. Um, and that's, of course, another risk. And firstly, if we are to be downgraded, we will fall out of the weekly, the World Government Bond uh, Index. And um, understand that uh, being in the World Government Bond Index actually reduced our cost of capital as a country because investors who have to track that index uh, end up buying our bonds just so that they can replicate uh, the index. And as it stands, uh, foreigners own about 38% of our domestic rent denominated uh, bonds. And that becomes a very important channel. So it becomes important for us to actually be having a macroeconomic settings that are constantly credit positive because that has got implications uh, for the cost of capital. If that cost of capital goes up, understand that the constitution says the first charge against the national revenue fund is the cost of servicing debt so you top slice that so there is less money available for government to spend on other things okay? but then that means that uh, everybody else in this economy is going to pay higher for any money that uh, they borrow. It's, 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 just, it's just straightforward, no conspiracy, just simple economic relationships. With that, the cost of capital of the banks will also go up. And if it goes up, you are going to pay more for your mortgages, for your credit cards, for your car, and so forth. As you can see, that basically, if uh, not, it's not only on the investment side, but if you are borrowing and you, you've got mortgages and you've got car finance, a downgrade is going to be, make that debt more expensive. So I want to actually quickly now move on to taxes. Um, <laughs> so be- interestingly enough, and I think we made this point, you made the point already, Pfizer, is that, you know, normally tax is the big story. It's usually what we start off with. It's how much more tax will we be paying? Yet this is the first time in five years that we've seen almost virtually no tax increases at all, um, given what we've seen in the past in terms of VAT increases, uh, investment taxes like dividend tax, capital gains tax, and even um, personal tax increases. But 
there was no adjustment to the tax tables to accommodate for inflation. And but Mal, I want you to unpack that for, for our listeners, because I think that is incredibly important. People sort of miss that. They think, oh, there's no tax increase. But inflation is a very, very clever way of taxing people. So that amount that the, that the bracket did not move by, you effectively pay more tax on. And that's called bracket creep. Um, countries do use it worldwide. It's not very popular because uh, consumers or taxpayers are effectively poorer. Yeah, it's going to put 12, it basically is going to collect 12.8 billion rand more in taxes. So we are going to be paying more, 12.8 billion. And um, it is, I, I asked National Treasury, it's the first time since the, 19, the early 1990s that they've actually gone this far. So again, this really, really feels like we've, we've come to the end of the road um, in terms of tax collections. So while we didn't see an increase in direct taxes, there were those usual indirect tax increases. We saw a number of sin taxes. The typical one, I think, is um, the sin tax on beer. Um, South Africa's uh, most played sport is uh, drinking beer and uh, brine. But unfortunately, every year we do get taxed on that. Um, we, d- we did see an increase, uh, a typical increase. It was above 8% on cigarettes. Uh, typically, we usually around that but it was a little bit higher. Um, and funny enough, there's something else that's also come out is that there's going to be taxing on e-cigarettes and heated products. So, um, yeah, and I think for, for me, the interesting one was with that carbon tax that's now coming on petrol at nine cents per litre. It pushes now between that, the fuel levy and the road accident fund, 41.8% of um, our fuel is now going to tax. So nearly 50% of that is actually taxable. And I want to go back... Uh, to your point about compliance, or, or I think Carl, one of you mentioned about increasing revenue. Um, we saw a shortfall of 42 billion rand in tax revenue collection. This actually shocked National Treasury. Um, they said that they were expecting, you know, obviously that they weren't expecting to be such a huge shortfall. And um, I, I've got a little clip here from the press conference uh, where Minister Mbaweni actually warns about tax taxpayers' bones being broken. And I, I think he means this, obviously, um, as a joke, but I thought it would make really a nice extract. But we're also demonstrating, by the way, that uh, we will not tolerate lawlessness as far as the tax regime is concerned. <coughs> Those who produce cigarettes, for example, and sell them in the underground market, will be dealt with very severely. I'm sure you noticed what uh, my tough friend on my right hand did yesterday by paying some courtesy visits uh, to some people who have been behaving as if they can be above the law. Uh, I suspect there will be more courtesy visits I hope not at your houses. <laughs> so please do render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Because Caesar can break your bones. <laughs> <laughs> (laughs) 
So, <laughs> so as you can gather, if you do not pay Caesar, your bones will be broken. And we now have uh, Judge Davis, who's been appointed to investigate the tax gap um, and try and find out about this non-compliance of taxpayers. And uh, Carla, I wanted to ask you quickly, again, with being close, close to investors and close to clients, um, do you see reluctance now in, in paying tax? Um, do you see things like immigration becoming a big issue? Because that, of course, can also bleed the tax base. Definitely. Um, we, we've seen a lot of non-compliance. And uh, I think typically this is um, going back to ground level, whereby people are looking at municipalities. They seem, but why am I paying these taxes? When I walk out my front door, I don't have... Uh, basic services, running water, electricity, those type of things. So I think that's where the non-compliance actually starts. It's, it's literally at ground level. But again, you know, it's, it's a case of where government will now show that uh, corruption is being uh, taken out or uh, repercussion from it. That will automatically create a psychology where people will feel that now my, my rand or my taxes are going towards something and they're not just going into an empty pit. So typically it's, it's, it's a twofold. A government must play their part so that the consumer or the taxpayer feels confidence in spending this money on a month-to-month or day-to-day basis. So now I wanted to, to really now focus on some of the detail around investments. Um, and as you said, as you said, Faiz, there wasn't much around financial planning. And I think one of the things that surprised quite a few people, there were no increases to the tax-free savings um, account at all. Yeah, I think the last time there was an increase to the tax-free savings threshold was from 30000 to 33000 in the 2017 budget. Um, so I think this is the second year running that there's no increase in that threshold. Um, the 500,000 Rand lifetime threshold has not moved since it was implemented. And I think that the budget this year wasn't about providing any sort of tax advantage in any way. Um, and so I think investors just need to hold on um, because I don't believe that there will be an increase in that uh, threshold anytime soon. Um, because we need to get our house in order first. I mean, you know, I actually spoke to National Treasury about that. I said the impact on Fiscus is minuscule because, you know, these, this, the, the tax free savings accounts is, I mean, 33,000 a year is not a huge amount of money. And of course, you're only really losing it on the capital gains tax, which becomes, you know, um, significant in a couple of years' time. So, he, and he, they said to me, you know what, it wasn't about impact on the fiscus it was about perception you can't be seeing to be giving tax benefits to savers and wealthier and i put inverted commas people when you've got such an austere budget and again uh pfizer no mention of anything on the davis tax committee uh recommendations around some of these things like spousal abatement um do you think again do you think that they're just trying to get control of the budget get control of spending and all these other tax changes are just being shelved at the moment What's, what's still to come possibly from the Davis Tax Committee recommendation perspective is maybe doing away with the conduit pipe principle with trusts. Um, but there hasn't been talk about that since it was mentioned in 2015. Um, and the interspouse abatement um, in respect of the estate duty deduction, um, you know, we've got to wait and see what's going to happen there. The recommendation there is to do away with the primary abatement of 3.5 million and then to just increase that primary abatement to 15 million per taxpayer 
without using the interspart abatement um, or rollover or the section 4Q deduction for estate duty purposes. Um, but again, that no one has said anything since it was quiet at this stage, I think. (laughs) But what about retirement reform? Again, we haven't heard much about that recently. Has that also been shelved for now? Possibly. I mean, that that date, that implementation date for provident fund annuitization has been pushed out so many times. (laughs) Yeah. At this point, it looks like it's possibly going to be the 1st of March 2021. Um, But, I mean, if that happens, who's to say? We've been now only receiving um, con- uh, tax deductions on contributions made to provident funds from the 1st of March 2015. Um, and prior to that, we didn't receive it. So now we're getting a double benefit if you look at it, because we're receiving the tax deduction on contributions, but at retirement, we're not forced to annuitize. Yes. So, and I think, and, and you know, I was just thinking about this whole pension fund re- reform. And, you know, the, I think government is up against so much union pressure on Eskom and all of these things that to try and challenge because it is exa- the unions who are, are really anti the uh, neutralization of provident funds. So I suspect they just have got to pick their fights um, at this stage. So what I'm going to be watching is tax treatment on surviving spouses' pensions. So this is when a spouse passes away and they leave a surviving spouse who now receives their pension. And what government is saying is that um, if that surviving spouse also earns an income because they still have a job, they can often be under paying tax during the year because they're being taxed at a lower tax rate within the within the pension. And that leaves a massive liability or tax liability come the end of February. However, they now want to considering introducing a flat PAYE tax or withholding that will that we've held from the pension. Um, and at the end of the year, any PAYE that is excessively withheld as a result of this proposal will be refunded upon assessment. I just think about my mother um, who doesn't have additional income, who only survives on her pension. And what if that PAYE rate is actually higher than she's currently paying? That could lower the amount she gets every month in return for a higher refund at the end of the year. But that is going to require some financial planning if it is introduced. Well, I think that that's the, the portion that's where, well, that has to be seriously considered because where would it put people or what kind of strain would it put on government if, if all of a sudden a person is earning less or, or paying PAYE to a point where they, they are not meeting normal living standards? Listeners, uh, this was my big one I was watching out for. So prescribed assets is when uh, government basically says, starts starts telling pension funds where they can invest the money. In other words, by the way, pension funds, you have to buy ESCOM debt. (laughs) Um, And and there is just, I know National Treasury has always, always been anti this. Um, It did come up as an ANC, not government, as an ANC recommendation. Um, But Carla or Pfizer, do you think that that's, do you think that, that that debate has kind of just died? Well, prescribed assets, exactly like you said, was um, it, it was came up in conversation, if I can say it. It was an idea that ANC came across uh, some time back, and it's exactly that. It's 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 basically telling people or investors where they need to put their savings, and uh, where to put their savings is in state-owned enterprises. Now, um, we all know that that is probably the worst performing platform right now so 
forcing investors to invest in that uh, would just have a negative effect. Uh, well, I think, yeah, I mean, and I really think there was not even a, a whiff of it in this budget. And I, I think it probably was a discussion point and, and hopefully has, is, is we're not going to be hearing more from it at this stage if they can stabilize Eskom. And I just before we end off, Carla, I wanted to give just one quick, because this was quite key for GEPF members, this is Government Employee Fund uh, um, uh, Pension Fund members, they're going to be allowed to retire early. Do you have some clients who are going to be affected by this? Well, actually, find, I found that actually one of the most interesting parts um, because we it was mentioned early retirement, but no, no real age was given what, what is considered as early retirement. Are we talking about age 55, 60, 65? Um, just to give you an idea, if, if we're talking about someone retiring at age 55, you're talking about 25 years worth of savings that you need to that you're going to plow through, uh, that you need to create uh, in order to give you 25 years plus worth of income. Um, so I, I found it very interesting. Obviously, we're going to get more details about what is considered as early retirement. But something that's also very interesting that, that I found is that if we look at entrepreneurs in South Africa, typically entrepreneurs are not <laughs> young people. We, we find that entrepreneurs are typically older people, older people who are willing to take risks. So would we be perhaps seeing uh, a different type of entrepreneur by, by creating this with government employees with an early retirement, whereby they would be taking or becoming entrepreneurs, maybe creating small businesses, having years of experience within government departments, uh, maybe be able to create, um, like I said, uh, their own businesses, or maybe branch out into the private sector by being an entrepreneur, creating your own business, and maybe branch into what Tito was saying about encouraging the private sector to, to be part of these uh, uh, SOEs. Maybe this is a different avenue where these people could retire, create these own little businesses, yet still be part of government in a different form. Um, I was just thinking about the retirement age of the GEPF fund. It's currently age 65, so it's like Carla says, what, what does early retirement actually mean? And what does early retirement and graceful retirement actually mean? Mm. Um, is there going to be an incentive provided or a bonus provided um, to these retirees if they choose to retire? But it's also a bit of a double-edged sword because longevity plays against us as well. So... If you've got 25 years worth of savings, but you're going to live for another 40 years, where does that leave you? And what burden does that place on the state? Mm -hmm. So I think that it must be, um, you know, carefully considered uh, the age at which early retirement will be granted um, to these government employees. So I think, I think really good advice to end off with there is if you get the option of early retirement, get some very good advice before you do so. So thank you very much. I think that's a wrap for today. Uh, and thank you to our guests, Bimal uh, Shagan, Faiza Khan, and Carlo Gills for their insights. You've been listening to the My Money, My Lifestyle post-budget podcast brought to you by Liberty.